Hello, everyone. Welcome to From Nowhere to Nothing Ontological Oxymorons. I'm your host, Joel Bouchard, a doctoral student in psychology. And with me today is Mr. Norman Gayford, a professor of English and philosophy, as well as a special guest, my wife, Amanda Bouchard, who has a degree in early childhood education and is an expert in the field due to being a child herself. <laughs> On the show, we've looked at topics that are explicitly and deeply philosophical, like God and time as well as topics that don't appear to be philosophical at first glance, but upon further investigation, turn out to be very complex and require meaningful rethinking. Our slogan has been that everything is philosophical and that anyone can do it. And today we'll exercise that belief again by looking at Disney princesses. All right, so this is episode 111, and 11 happens to be your favorite number. And... Anybody who's a regular listener of the show has heard plenty of stories about you and me talking and stuff. So <laughs> you are our first female guest. It took us 111 episodes to get one. I've got a couple other ones lined up um, that we'll probably hear from in the coming weeks, but you're the first. So <laughs> <laughs> we we're glad. We're very glad. <laughs> So we gave you a choice of topics and you chose Disney princesses, which is probably good because Norm and I tend to skew towards uh, um, things that are pop culturally more uh, masculine, I suppose. Um, so l let's start out by just asking, what is a Disney princess? Well, I think the obvious answer is a lot of the leading female roles in the animated Disney universe. Um, you know, I picked this topic because I thought it was something I was well-educated in. And after doing a little extra research, I found out that is not, that is not true. Um, <laughs> there's a lot more to these ladies that than meets the eye. And I did, um, I did actually write down the four unwritten rules of what makes a Disney princess. Ooh, mm, okay. So they, they must, the number one rule is that they must play a lead role in either a Disney or a Pixar film. They must be human or look like a human. They must be royal by birth, marry into royalty, or perform a heroic act. And they must have great appeal to audiences. Wow. Yeah, yeah. Wow, yeah, okay. so, <laughs> yeah, so before, um, earlier today when you were doing some research, you were dropping these tidbits of information on me. And um, I, full disclosure, I'm not interested in Disney princesses at all. But you kept saying some of these things and I was like, man, that's really interesting. And so there's a lot here and some of it is um, is cool and some of it is like... All, kind of dark or almost sort of like capitalistic uh, franchise. Yes, yes, well, exactly. Uh, yeah. Which with this stuff that we've talked about, uh, yeah, that is too. So, but what do you think about that? What do you think about those definitions? Those requirements. I, I mean, they make they make sense when you when you lay it out. I offhand, I can't think of any Disney princesses that only look like a human, with the exception of Tiana. But she was a human, and then she was a frog. And then she became... And then she was human again. Right, right. Yeah, it, it, there's strange requirements because the first one is um, of very anthropogenic, like, okay, you have, to, you have to be a human, right? So, like, none of these, you couldn't have, like... The one from Maid, Avatar. Maid Marian, yeah. <laughs> yes, Maid Marian from, from, from Robin, Robin Hood couldn't be a Disney right, princess. Right, she's a fox. The interesting one to me would be um, Jasmine from Aladdin. So, because it says you have to have a lead role, right? So, she's not the primary character, but she is still a leading star in the film. I mean, if you think about the the top characters from the movie Aladdin, who are the first that come to mind? Obviously, Aladdin, mm -hmm. his love interest, Jasmine, and Jafar. Yeah, it brings up, that, I mean, that's an interesting language issue there, the difference between leading and primary. Yeah. yeah. The, the thought of it, but. My favorite Disney princess, oh, only because uh, I, don't I like, say yeah. We're gonna get okay, there. Okay, that's, right, that's one right, of the questions. Right. We'll go around because right, because it, it addresses what Amanda brought up at the beginning. So okay, this is good. But um, <laughs> yeah, some of, so some of those other ones is where we get into the capitalistic stuff, right? Because it says um, must have a wide audience appeal, mm -hmm. and there's a lot of criticism early on about disney all of their characters looking a certain way right so 
using just the looks of the character to get an appeal to audiences. Whereas now, um, and you know, I think that it's, it's been over a long length of time. If you think about Jasmine, right? Like Jasmine wasn't just a passive character, you know, right. after Jafar becomes the genie, she plays this big role in, in, yeah. you know, in, in saving things. But for, it's been a, a long progression that's taken place and it hasn't always gone in a smooth clip. Um, but there's, there's been a lot of different things that have happened with it. Um, so Disney owns a lot of properties, right? Um, so let's, if we look at like Star Wars or Marvel, right? Is Shuri from Black Panther a Disney princess? Is Princess Leia a Disney princess from Star Wars? Did these rule, did any of those four rules say that they wouldn't be? So according to some additional research, the reason that those other characters, so there's only 12 official princesses and there's only the, it said something silly to the effect of only the Mickey Mouse house knows, you know, technically what the official rules are that they become a Disney princess, but there are, there are a list of 12. They are official. They're on they're within the princess franchise that makes money. Um, the reason that Princess Leia wouldn't technically be a Disney princess is because she's part of her own franchise. So Star Wars makes their own money. So technically, she's not lumped in with the standards of Snow White and Belle and Cinderella. Yeah, and that makes sense because Star Wars, you know, it didn't start as a Disney product. Nor did Marvel. Yeah, so they right. started as their own thing and then they were assumed by Disney. Would you... Can you identify their uh, 12 princess disciples? <laughs> yes. Yeah. And they are in chronological order um, by appearance. There's Snow White, Cinderella, and Aurora. Those are considered the original three. Okay. Then there's Ariel, Belle, Jasmine, Pocahontas, and Mulan. They're considered the Renaissance princesses because that was sort of Disney's new beginning. Um, you can tell just that short list there is very different from those first three, which were. Yeah. Do you know how much time passed between like Aurora and. 30 years. 30 years. 30 wow. years. It's weird because you and I are of an age where we grew up with them when they were new. So yeah. it just seemed like they had always been around. Like, and apparently it's because. Um, so. Snow White and Cinderella had such success, but Sleeping Beauty didn't. Huh. And so there's a big gap between Aurora being the third princess and then Ariel being the the new age, the new renaissance of Disney. Um, and then after that, you have Tiana, Rapunzel, Merida, and Moana is the most recently inducted okay. Disney princess. Right. Yeah, we uh, one of the uh, things you were asking me about something else and that an interesting thing that came up was that the the girls from frozen are not disney princesses they are technically not disney princesses and that goes again back to the capitalistic um they have their own franchise that those movies were so successful that those two alone make so much money that they don't need to be part of the disney princess franchise that's wild. That's, 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 that's absolutely wild because I would have said, I, I know a certain granddaughter who would be um, outraged. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because Anna and, and mm -hmm. Elsa are, yeah, uh, not Fiona from Shrek because they have their own franchise? Uh, not Disney. Oh, uh, okay. All right. Yeah, and see, there's some. Yeah, there's there are DreamWorks. Okay. DreamWorks. So you can find Shrek at a Universal Studio. Uh, okay. Yes. Thank you for the quality. <laughs> So yeah, that's that's an interesting thought. Is that that's really because I mean, think about so your qualifications like you have to be royalty, you have to be human, um, you have to have wide audience appeal. It's weird to think that you could be so good at those things that it actually disqualifies you from being a princess. You know? So and then there's actually um, there's also a category of lost princesses. So these are these were characters that were at one point included in the Disney princess franchise and were removed so the first one is tinkerbell 
So I don't, I don't feel, I guess she would be the one that's human-like because technically she's not a human. She's no, a she's fairy. A fairy. Right. Yeah. But I don't think she's, she's not royalty, mm-hmm. but she does perform heroic acts. So she maybe does. that was and her. She has a whole spinoff series too. Which is why so. she's no longer a Disney <laughs> princess. She makes too much money on her own. <laughs> <laughs> and then you have the reverse of that, which is Esmeralda from The Hunchback of Notre Dame. Oh. And they removed her because of her that movie's lack of appeal. The movie didn't do very well. They pulled her out. Huh. That's crazy. Oh, well, this is this is really enlightening. It's gonna to lead to some some interesting stuff. All things I didn't know before uh well, I, I certainly did this episode. I, I, yeah. Gee, it's easier to get into the Avengers than it is to be <laughs> <laughs> No, it's wild thinking. I mean like it, it almost seems like Walt Disney is like the Vatican or something. Secret archives and all of these <laughs> regulations on what makes things, you know, what they are and whatnot. So you already answered um, one of the questions I had, which was who's who's the first Disney princess, which is Snow White. Technically, um, technically. Yeah, because we, we asked Google that and she is the first full length Disney princess, but they had one prior to her. What was that? Persephone. Persephone, which, which is interesting. Was, which was like basically Walt Disney dipping his toe into the water, seeing like if if we did go this route, is that something that was going to gain traction? And she was very popular. So I believe Snow White was loosely based on her. Gotcha. Yeah, it makes sense because Persephone is is the goddess of the underworld. Um, so, I mean, you think about, well, I don't know, because that would make more sense for Sleeping Beauty, I think, than for Snow White. Hmm. But do you have to know her story at all or not? I didn't look into is her that, at all. Is, is, if it's based on the Greek mythology or if it's just a separate... Yeah, I'd, I'd be interested to know more about that. I, I was unaware of that. Honey. Yeah, yeah. I, me too, because he asked me, he's like, who's the first Disney princess? And I, I write out, you know, Snow White. And then you ask Google and she says Snow White, but then she also mentions Persephone. Is Hercules Disney? Yes. And... In my opinion, one of the most wildly underrated Disney films of all time. Uh, but there's but no, uh, Meg, Meg um, is not considered a princess. Well, she never, she doesn't marry royalty. She becomes entangled with one of the gods. Right. Who gives up his immortality to be with her on earth. So there is no royal, there is no royal connection. But she does have that heroic act when she sacrifices herself for Hercules. So. Yeah. I would be interested if she technically falls into like a lost princess category just from uh, the film not doing as well. Or maybe uh, maybe being alive is an important part of being <laughs> <laughs> It's hard to have a character walking around Disney World if you're not, but you die in the movie. Oh, but she comes back to life. Does she? Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. She comes, she, she does. Yeah, Hercules does, does eventually rescue her. I'm okay. just getting all these visions of, okay, we, we had Avengers and Avengers West Coast and then we had just Justice League and then the Justice Society was first. And so we got the Disney princesses and the Disney heroines who yeah. were wannabes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, it's getting into um, another interesting question, which is uh, are all Disney princesses built around the same archetype um, or are they sort of different? So, in other words, are all Disney princesses roughly the same age? Do they, are they from the same socioeconomic status? Do they look the same? You know, do they are they all, is it sort of telling the same story, you know, or ha- having the same heroine, but just sort of reskinning it so that you can sell more toys or merchandise, or do they have unique characteristics? I think the first three really were. Um, they are all very similar. They're all deemed um, kind of shy um, and not, they're not the heroic adventurers that you see um, coming out of that Renaissance Disney era, um, which is part of that new beginning where he really, Walt Disney really started to make those princesses uh, more self-aware. They were action takers. They were strong-willed. Whereas those first three, they're all kind of shy and timid and they don't play as big a role in their films even though they are the leading characters mm-hmm. now these were all pre-existing stories right disney didn't write those three no it made made um made some changes but but folklore always makes changes mm-hmm. so it's it's within the the scope of canon for 
those three characters. So yeah, they were they were folkloric. So yeah, so he was retelling the story, which maybe that had that that might have had an effect on it. But at the same time, you know, like I said, he he definitely made changes from the original tales. It would explain why Sleeping Beauty didn't do as well as the as the first two or even any that came after it. Because I mean, you have Snow White and Cinderella, and they're similar, um, but they are they have different stories. You know, there's a, a lavish ball in one of them, so that that does help it. But then Snow White was. It was a different story, but it really did seem, or excuse me, Sleeping Beauty, it's, it's a little bit more of the same. Mm-hmm. Um, their age ranges are, as an adult now, mm-hmm. realizing, you know, how not grown you are when you think you're grown. <laughs> um, finding out that these ladies range in age from 14 to 19 really brings it's just eye-opening when you, you know, you hear Ariel spout off to King Triton, like, I'm not a child anymore. You are 16. The heck, you are not a child anymore. <laughs> yeah, and, and I mean, and it's, that's sort of disturbing from the angle that, I mean, almost every one of these stories has a romance element to it, right? And so now it feels, um, to me, when you told me that, I felt like, like voyeuristic almost, right? Like, but I the think, Little Mermaid, but the Little Mermaid is also folklore character, right? Yeah, you know, it's it's it, it's not a liberation from that tradition. And back in the folkloric day, very young was when you got married. Yeah, in the in times medieval, you were getting married when you were thirteen. Yeah, and and I think there's an interesting again going back mm-hmm. to language, like you you hear, I think that the word princess is associated with a young woman. When in reality, it's, it's just a state, right? So if you have a king or a queen, um, if they have a sister, then you, know, you have essentially have a princess. So you, yes. could, you, you could be an old princess, but for some reason, that, that image of, of a young woman is... is yeah, sort Snow of, White being 14 and, and finding Prince Charming, like that's... Disturbing. What? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what are you doing? So, so their ages are all relatively similar. Um, what other characteristics stick out to you um, across the princesses being very similar or very different? So, all right. So, I'm going to hop in on on this one. the 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 first three are relatively passive. Mm-hmm. Uh, one has the goal of wanting to go to a dance. <laughs> and underneath it, there's a lot of other stuff that we need to crack open. I said, dealing with uh, horrors of, of common decency. <laughs> but want to go to a dance. All right. Uh, one is someone who just happens to be prettier than mom, stepmom. And so needs to die for that, uh, and and would would not have even known what was going on had the, the, had the woodsman, the huntsman, yeah. said get out of here, and then goes into a forest and faints. The the current Disney princesses would not go into a <laughs> forest and faint. Um, I think. Well, yeah, and you see some of that, you know, like like we were talking about, all of these stories have been tweaked from their original versions, which are usually much darker. Yeah. But um yeah, even the more recent ones like Rapunzel, right? Rapunzel's sort of a damsel in distress story originally. Yeah. But since it's, it's more yeah. a more recent Disney movie, you see the character being changed to be more active, to be more aware. Right. And I I don't know if that was done by design. I like to hope that it was. Um, you know, as as time goes on and people become more woke, if you will, you know, you have those original three princesses and it seems like their their role was to to be pretty and to eventually get scooped up by a prince and, and then they live there happily ever after. Um, Ariel feels like she has to sort of go find it. She just longs for another world. Like she never feels like she quite belongs where she is. And then from there, it just gets progressive. They become 
seemingly more independent. You know, it's not, they don't need to find their love interest. They, they are in charge of their story. Yeah. So that's, I guess that gets back to the core of the question, which is, are all Disney princesses built on the same archetype? Um, so what that, I guess what I, the question being asked there is the story arc, right? Is the story arc pretty much the same between them? They start in one place, um, in, in like there's a, the Campbellian story arc, right? Or you start in one place, um, you run across some difficulty, and then you attain this goal, and then you live happily ever after. Do they tend to have the same difficulties and have the same goal, or it doesn't vary among the princesses? I, I think it does vary among the princesses. Um, maybe not so much in those first ones, but then as they started to to broaden and and develop a little bit more, I think that they did become actually very different and diverse. I would have to agree because the, I've been immersed in this only experientially over the past couple of years and so i'm seeing things that i hadn't watched in mm-hmm. ages or yeah, so when my kids were little so it seems to me that the first three there's this idea of in in one case um escape uh in another survival but in, in all three cases it all hinges on some guy coming and making it all bright uh, and then you get into what Amanda's calling the Renaissance characters, and not so much. Yeah, and, uh, they certainly they, they have they different have, arcs for their tales. Yeah, they all have a love interest, which is well, except they don't. for Moana, right? Well, yeah, I'm only speak. I was only speaking to the Renaissance. Oh, okay, gotcha. Yeah, so okay, even Renaissance in that group. Renaissance group, they all do have a love interest, whether or not they ultimately end up with their love interest. Does Mulan? Mulan does. She she has feelings for one of the sergeants. I don't mm-hmm. think she marries him, but okay. they um they do have a Mulan's been for a while. Well, an and, interest and and. Pocahontas, which is, you know, it's, it's the one film I think they should remove utterly from the candy. It makes something different from the indigenous culture. Disney could do that. But. Which is sad because that, that really was Walt Disney's attempt to try to recognize the indigenous people. It was just done. It was done with, with bad history. Yeah. Just, just bad history. And, and making John Smith a, a heroic love interest was just. <laughs> Uh, I'm all for her jumping off the waterfall and into the rainbow and the wind and, and, and having that, that power of, of nature. But, um, I, oh, <laughs> it, uh, I mean, it is about European greed, but it, yeah. I just think it skids off. So some of it gets a little cringy when you get older and, and peek behind the curtain a little bit. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, um, I, I think what's interesting, right, as with those the Renaissance princesses, is um, you know, I think that I, there's a lot of listeners that are in our age group that grew up during the '90s um, and are familiar with these tales. They did; they ha- had an appeal to all young kids. Like they weren't just a female thing, right? Like I remember watching all of these Disney movies, right, and liking them. Um, so I think that that's an important part of it. Let's uh let's let's go around the table now. Who's your favorite princess and and why? So my favorite has always been Ariel, and I think that that has more to do with her being. So it's not her specifically that I gravitated to so much as I have a memory of my mother taking me to the theater to see the movie mm. when I was about five, I think. So that's one of one of my earliest memories. And so it, it just always stuck and she she became my favorite. Yeah. What about you, Norm? Do you have a favorite? Absolutely. Uh, unqualified favorite is Moana. I love Moana. Uh, for all kinds of reasons. <laughs> Uh, I like the, you know, the, the background. The music is great. <laughs> the the fact that uh, she starts with parents and ends up with parents, and they see her differently because <laughs> that's pretty much not in any of the some of the other, maybe one parent in some of the other 
Uh, she's not out, out after the love interest. She's out after being who she is called to be and speaking up to demigods and, 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 and being able to crash and, and burn, so to speak, and pick herself right back up, even better than a demigod. <laughs> um, uh, connection to the, the, the matriarchal and the grandmother who was saying, be on the outside, don't just listen. I mean, there's just so much that's wonderful. I've thought uh, to the grandmother, I'm, um, are you going to tell my dad, she says, when she tries to go over the reef, I'm his mother. I don't have to tell him anything. <laughs> I just, you know, I think it was so contemporary and, and complicated. And so that's why I, I, the music, absolutely. But I, I just, uh, I see how my granddaughter responds to these different characters. Mm-hmm. And when we come to the end of Moana, as often we're just piecing it out, we're watching like 10 minutes of this or fit it. But um, yesterday we ended up watching most of Moana. We got to the end of it and she hopped off the couch and she started running and she started dancing and she was humming p- part of, of the music and she, it just charged her up. Hmm. So Sleeping Beauty doesn't charge work. Yeah, yeah, exactly, right? <laughs> yeah, and I think... Uh, How about you? It's hard for me to pick a favorite, but the two that I grew up with that I always loved were Aladdin and Beauty and the Beast. And I think in retrospect, it's for opposite reasons, right? I think that watching Beauty and the Beast, it was easy to like Belle because Belle is the only rational person in the movie. Right? <laughs> She's like, look, I just like reading books. You know, I like, I like doing the stuff. And then, you know, her dad ends up in a bad place and she tries to rescue him. And she also is not out looking for a love interest. But at the same time, she's trying to get away from one. Yeah. yeah. But at the same time, she's open-minded enough to um, see that the guy with the good looks and with the popularity and with all this stuff is actually not a good dude. Mm-hmm. But that this dude that's a literal monster does have some redeeming qualities, you know? And so I... I always, from from that aspect, I always liked Belle in the Beauty and the Beast, you know, because she was smart. She was smart and she was fair in her assessment of who people really were. Aladdin I liked because I felt like, I think that's the first movie where the Disney princess is on equal footing with the other characters, right? The movie's called Aladdin. Aladdin is the main character. But you see Aladdin and he's doing heroic stuff. He's doing stupid stuff. He's getting himself in trouble. He's doing, you know, all this stuff. And, you know, Jasmine, like, she's tired of being a pampered princess. You know, she's tired of living this life. She wants to go and actually do something. And, um, you know, then as as the plot progresses and as things get more dangerous, she, you know, you see her in a spot where she, oh, okay, here we go. She needs to be rescued, right? But in reality, it's Aladdin with this ill-thought-out plan trying to get back, and she's the one that sort of has to dig the thing out. And all <laughs> these characters work together, right? You know, from the monkey to the genie to Aladdin to the princess, everybody has to pull their weight and and sort of act as a team in order to defeat Jafar as as mm-hmm. the genie. You know, so I really liked those two specifically um, for those 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 kind of two different reasons. Um. What do the princess's companions add to the tales? Do they, are there no worthy of companions that you think have? Specific- so that was that was interesting too to find out that um, the companions were to add to the the loneliness intended by the story. <laughs> um, so as you know, you see in the first three, they don't really have any friends. But they have these animals that they they talk to. So that was that was by design to make them seem more lonely. That they all they had to talk to was animals. It's interesting because it seems to have the opposite effect, doesn't it? You know, like I think <laughs> that you see you see them talking to the birds or doing these sorts of things, and and it it seems very charming. Right. It almost you know? speaks to their character. Like you see memes now where if. If wild animals allow them, allow you to get close to them, like you get Disney princess status <laughs> because of that, that quality she says that <laughs> makes the animals feel comfortable enough to be that close to you. I'm thinking about Maui now when he does this meta thing. Okay, princess, I'm not a princess. Um, actually, while you're the, cha- the chief's daughter, 
Uh, if you have a talking, <laughs> you talk to an animal and you sing songs. You know, <laughs> he's laying. He's laying out the four rules. He's yeah, out the four rules. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, there's a, she's they, the first three when they break through and the birds are helping address them mm-hmm. and the and, and the mice are <laughs> right. And then you have you have the the later um, companions. So you have Sebastian and Mushu who serve as um, guidance to to their their leading ladies they're they're helping them in their endeavors um basically being their obi-wan if you will or their <laughs> jedi masters sebastian mccrab is only like a <laughs> <laughs> no but I, I but i see that yes there, there's wisdom they're also the comic foil if we didn't have sebastian it wouldn't be nearly as, and, and of course, then we've got the whole question of are we laughing at the accent or enjoying the, the you know, there, there's a whole other thing going on there too. But yes, I agree. There, there, there. And uh, hey, hey, oh, the, is nothing no. but comic foil. And yet, and yet he contributes. I ne- have never connected to a companion as much as i did hey hey <laughs> i love that little chicken <laughs> well and he becomes this 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 pivotal thing hey hey is the one that captures the heart of the feet right, right without the little empty-headed chicken we we do not survive it's no it's it's interesting what you're saying about the animals because even though pua is technically listed as her sidekick I include Hey Hey because I feel like he's there the whole time. He was. Pua wasn't on the main quest. Wasn't he? I don't think so. We didn't I, have Pua in trouble with the Kakamoras. We that's didn't true. Have Pua. That's was, true. Yeah, but so as I was trying, because I wanted to make sure I had a list of like each sidekick and um, each villain and stuff like that. Pua is technically listed. And, huh. and Sebastian is, is second to Flounder. So here's a question. Interesting. Um, in order to be a sidekick, do you have to talk? No. Oh, okay. So I didn't know if that's why they discounted Hey Hey. Because Pua doesn't talk either. Okay. Um, did, the, did the original three princesses, did their little their si- hang and speak at all or no? So Snow White and Cinderella are listed to have, well, no, so like, those ones were different because they all they had the animals, but then Cinderella also has the mice, which are more closely to her. Yeah, they they talk. Yeah, and they talk, but like the birds don't, and the cat doesn't, and the dog doesn't. Right, and then Aurora has animals too, but she also has her three fairy godmothers. Yes, and they talk. And Cinderella, not on on, on, on Sleeping Beauty has no. Snow, Snow White, White they list her, her sidekick as her animals, but she also has her seven dwarf companions. Yeah. Yeah. So, okay. Yeah, so that's interesting. I was, it's interesting to see throughout the stories which characters they decide to anthropomorphize, which ones they decide to, to give human qualities to, and then what roles they fulfill. Hmm. And then, I think Belle might be the only one whose sidekick isn't an animal because her sidekick is listed as Chip. Who's Chip? Oh, Chip's the The little teacup. And then I feel like um, Lumiere and Cogsworth probably also fall loosely into that category, but her main sidekick is listed as Chip. Interesting. Mrs. Potts is the Obi-Wan Kenobi? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I think Mrs. Potts has to be. (laughs) But yeah, that... Yeah, so that I wonder if that's the only story that has like the anthropomorphized, um, like inanimate object. Yeah, because they're magical. Everything else they tend to stick. Well, no, Moana because Moana has the 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 volcano and the but that's the villain. But that's the villain. It's the living island. I mean, that we're we're talking god status, right? Not for that. So that that couldn't that isn't a companion. Hmm. So so do all the companions serve kind of the typical role of of helping the princess throughout the story? I, Are there any companions that um that that may hinder the story, whether because they're clumsy or because they're a traitor, or do they all tend to have the same same role? I feel like hey hey a little bit. 
tried, but he just sort of sabotages by accident. By accident, yeah. yeah. He's 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 chaos. He is the element of chaos. <laughs> uh, without Hey Hey messing around, I think that story would have gone very differently. Yeah. What do you? Th- I'm I'm thinking about some of the others um, who have non-traditional kinds of health. Um, I mean, um, Abu and Aladdin. He he's the one that gets them into trouble. By he's not cow. he's not Jasmine's psychic. He's Aladdin. Oh, that's true. But yeah, yeah. Raja the uh, tiger is, huh. is Jasmine's sidekick. And Raja doesn't talk. No. And listen, you know, so what's the rhyme or reason to, right? Because it seems like Raja should, you know, could be able to talk, you know, but right. It, they but they talk to them. So in some cases we are let in to the actual conversation. And in some cases we don't get to be part of that actual conversation. We see it happen, but we don't know. Raja is very much like Chewbacca. <laughs> <laughs> the powerful side. You can't understand what I'm saying, but you don't I, rip your arms I off. I feel like Jasmine does does understand Raja, like because mm-hmm. she has. They do anamorphosize her a little bit. Yeah, yeah. But it's kind of a sounding board for so you can hear Jasmine's thoughts. Because, yeah. like you said, as a princess, she's mostly alone. So in order to. You know, if you have a scene with just a singular character by herself, how do you know what's going on if she's not talking about what? Well, Cinderella right. talks to the, uh, she she talks to the birds, and that's how we know that what she says about the clock waking her up and and all those things. And she talks to what's the cat's name? This foul beast of a cat. Uh, <laughs> I remember Mephistopheles or something. <laughs> but yeah, I think that to me, I think that might be the more important role of the companions is. To me, it doesn't seem to demonstrate the loneliness of the character as much as it reveals to you the character's thoughts and it progresses the story through giving you the look of the introspections of the character that you wouldn't be privy to without. It does have other I was Amanda on the on the loneliness. I'm thinking back to that the close to the opening scenes when Cinderella is talking to those those birds. There is eminently lonely up in that tower and those. Those birds are coming to help, but is that all in her head? You know, yeah, yeah. Uh, and and talking to mice. <laughs> I, uh, it's it's that that's a lonely thing. Yeah, uh, talking to an animal who's been putting messing up your floor after you've mopped the whole thing, knowing you're going to get in trouble. I, the psychology of this goes on in these things, but you haven't asked that question. So. so are the princesses' villains very similar, or do they vary in <laughs> in scope and regard? I feel like the villains start to progress with the... They follow suit with the princesses and their progression. Um, like we were talking about earlier today, the first three villains are all stepmothers. Mm. So these these are women that are supposed to be playing integral roles in in their daughters or stepdaughters' lives and they are all out to kill them. Well yeah uh, or but uh, with with sleeping beauty but Maleficent. Maleficent. She's well, not is a she the stepmother? Stepmother. Oh. She's a fairy. See Turns out Sleeping Beauty was not one I think I've ever seen. I ended up watching it with one of my friend's kids not not very long ago, and I'm watching bits of it. I don't think I've ever actually seen this one. <laughs> well, and, and I can see why you go to the stepmother, because the mother and father are essentially useless in, in the story oh, as well right. as in the movie. They're because the they're, in the, that's they're, right. they're essentially non-existent because there's nothing that they can they can do because of or the maybe curse. they're human because there's nothing they yes. can do. How much, You're right. Yeah. Do all the Disney princesses stories sort of revolve around parental ineptitude? Like, you know, because I mean you think about like Beauty and the Beast, um, her dad's just sort of a, an absent minded, you know, kind of a mad scientist that gets himself into trouble. You know, Jasmine's dad is just sort of this kooky old guy that only cares about getting his daughter married. Yeah. Um you know, King Triton is this overly Over- restrictive. It, are all the parents sort of, um, you know, are, do they always make it more difficult for the princesses? It would appear, but I, 
Is that not common among children coming of age trying to find their own way in well, the world? Well, it certainly at least feels that way, doesn't yeah. it? Yeah. <laughs> but, but Tiana, uh, her father leaves her with the legacy of cooking. Yeah. Because yeah. he passes away. Wanting, yeah. wanting the place. And her mother is still... Her mother is still there. Um, supportive. Yes, I think that her mother is actually one of the opposites where the rest of the parents want them to grow up a certain way and be responsible. She's almost too responsible. Yeah, I really like interesting. I really like The Princess and the Frog. I think that was a, a really mm-hmm. underrated film. But yeah, if you think about it, it has this weird thing going on where all of the other characters her age in the story are attempting to be princesses, essentially. And she's just trying to be a practical person and work her way through. But she ends up through that way, end up becoming the princess. Right. It's kind of an interesting story. And and, and the prince is no catch. Yeah, yeah. He's just (laughs) bumbling. Yeah, so um, who else has interesting villains in the story? You know, we... You know, are they we so the first ones are are familial or it's mostly those first ones are motivated by jealousy kind of, right? Um but then we have historical films. Isn't isn't Genghis Khan? Yeah. Mulan? Is that so that Mulan's villain is listed as is Sean Yu, but I don't know if that's just okay. loosely based on right, right. No, you're you're right. Uh, but still, um, a major historical. It is, yeah, for, for a, a full historical force, and and for Pocahontas, it's all of England, basically. Yeah, right. that's an interesting uh, one. Yeah, does she have a, a listed villain? Which one? Pocahontas. The governor is it? Uh, Governor Ratcliffe. Okay. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, he essentially stands for colonization. Yeah, right, and, that's, and, and, and that's why the, the story bothers me so much because so does Town Smith. But <laughs> right, yeah, yeah, but he just happened to find Pocahontas attractive. Yeah, so. yeah. 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 <laughs> um, who else? Well, the, the who's the villain in in the Princess and the Frog? Uh, Doctor Facilier, the witch doctor. Yeah. Yes, yeah, the Hat Man. Yeah, he's, he's after he's after Shadow Prince <laughs> Naveen's fortune, so he's trying to find his way to inherit Prince Naveen's riches with deceit. So he's not necessarily Tiana's villain, but she just happens to be in his way. Yeah. It's interesting because the stories, excuse me, the stories in some cases, and this is why you said all the arcs have their differences, um, supernatural forces are at war and the humans actually get caught up in the story, but um, you know, supernatural forces are very much at war in Moana, or or the causal interaction of those forces. I think that's what makes it interesting. And in Milan, I don't think there's. It's been a while with Milan. I don't think there's supernatural. I mean, other than Mushu coming back to represent the the, ancestor. the ancestors. Yeah, there is so there's, there's there's there the a little bit of that. Presence. That's true. There's often ancestral presence. Mm. That's yeah. Uh, and certain in an encanto, which we didn't talk about, which I have yet to finish, uh, but I love it. But it's not a princess story. Mm, no, there's no royalty uh, oh. within that one. Huh. Yeah, and you think about like the Lion King. You go, oh, well, she's not a human. <laughs> yep, <laughs> so, yeah. there it is. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, you see these uh, scriptures coming into place that that affect the stories. Hmm. So. Um, that's all the questions I have, but I know you have some other tidbits probably, right? What are the, what are the things do you have on your paper that we haven't talked about yet that you think are interesting? Um, I think that was mostly all of, of the things that I wrote down. I mean, technically, um, Pocahontas and Moana aren't princesses per se. They are the daughters of chiefs. So that does set them apart. Which that is um, wildly xenophobic, right? Because what what is your definition of royalty, right? Oh, okay. Well, in order to be royalty, you have to have an established monarchy. Well, isn't a a chieftain sort of? Well, this is. Um, I think this is why you. This is why Maui 
it's mansplaining to Moana that she's a princess, whether she wants to be or not. Yeah. It's sort of like Disney saying, yes, you are. Right. <laughs> because we're the gods or the demigods, and we're telling you that... that but it... Who do you think is more, most philosophically interesting in what they say about life? Now, not for nostalgia's sake, because I, right. I understand entirely about the nostalgia. I think, I think after like digging a little bit deeper, the most interesting ones to me are Artiana and and Moana, and I, I think it's because they so badly want to be in control of of their own story. They don't set out looking for the love interest. Moana doesn't have one at all in her story. Um, she's just trying to do right for her people for her island um she feels trapped that you know they don't go anywhere and um tiana just her her hard working her ethic you know yes she does find a love interest but you know she wasn't out looking for him and whether he'd been there or not i feel like she still would have done really well in her own mm -hmm. in her own story she would have had a marvelous restaurant yeah i think the <laughs> a lot of the progression you see with the princesses over the years is that you know it started out with from a place of victimization but then as the stories progress the characters get um more proactive about in their own stories you know like like what you were just mentioning, you know, in Moana, she's really motivated by a sense of responsibility to others, which makes her a leader. You know, yeah. she's not at all phased by demigods or forces of nature, that sort of thing. And that that's a really interesting. And, and at the same time, she. She acknowledges that she wants to be on an adventure, too. And that's mm -hmm. so the, those things are braided. I, I, the cultural commentary in, in these things this is vast. I, I, I really have difficulty with Beauty and the Beast mm. because what's the essential choice? Here's a young woman who wants to read, wants to be independent, wants to be left alone. We have this narcissistic lout coming after her. Or what's the alternative? Uh, essentially, a really abusive character, the Beast. But if she can just be patient enough and work with it, then maybe he won't be. So if you put it in normal terms, let's see, we got a guy who thinks nothing about himself and wants her as an object, or a guy who just wants to yell at her. <laughs> yeah. and, and she's trying to find her way in all that, and because of the strength of her character, but it, it falls on her to fix men. Yeah. <laughs> I really, <laughs> I, I, I think that that's why it's powerful for me. For me, it's not because of oh the romance. I <laughs> yeah, there's these abusive characters, um, you know, and it's it's almost like Stockholm syndrome. If you could look at it one way, yeah, that that always it bugs me that it it is so very much accurate um, because I think that you know the relationship that she develops with Beast has more to do with his her uncovering you know the softer side that being um a prince sort of he became entitled you know and we're all products of of our our upbringing and our design right mm -hmm. so he i'm not saying he's without fault because he is you know we are our own people you can make your own decisions but i think because of his upbringing that's why he refused the fairy who ultimately, you know, cursed the house. Mm -hmm. And it was Belle's character that helped him become a better person. So I think it speaks more to her character that she was able to still find good in something that was so bad. But then, yeah, like you yeah. fall in love with your captor and it's. Yeah, I yeah. think that, you know, the, the perspective of the story plays um, a lot in how you. It's what you bring to the story in a lot of ways, right? Because I, I didn't really see that in Beauty and the Beast um, a lot. Just probably because of my upbringing. Right? Right. And you, I you also saw it at a different age. Right, yeah, yeah. So I thought, oh man, Belle's really smart. Um, 
she's getting tied up in this thing she doesn't want to be tied up in. But, you know, she sees through some of this and, you know, she does reform him. Um, and like you said, he started out with a bunch of personality flaws because he's a spoiled brat, essentially. Yeah. And on top of that, he was cursed to, to be a beast, which is not a great scenario. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> but but at the same time, then Norm, Norm says what he sees about it. I go, oh, I can totally yeah. see that. Yeah. You're like, that's, you know. But do, do, but do I want to tell my granddaughter not to watch it? No, of course not. Right. Because if, if it, I mean, she has to do it with her father, too. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. it's interesting because, yeah. you know, this is our second three person episode. And the last one we had, we had Norm's son on to talk about villains. And a lot of that conversation revolved around this same thing, which is that, um, you know, I think that as parents, you know, or as adults watching these movies versus kids, um, your experience of the world colors what the story is telling you. Um, and then you, you automatically kind of assume, well, this is the story that's being said, and I don't know if that's the story I want my kid to hear. But oftentimes, they're hearing a completely different story because they don't have those preconceptions that they're bringing into that, it, that, for, that's, for better or for worse. That, that's, that's so true. And, and the fact that I can keep watching some of these, this is the other reason Moana works for me very differently. I see what it does for my granddaughter. Um, but I also have moved from being the parents of, of kids, they're adults now, they're on the, what am I? I'm, I'm just dead in that sense, but I, they're their own people and they're out there doing their things. And that's great. So now I gravitate toward the grandmother in, in the mm -hmm. saying, oh, well, if you're going to do what your dad says, just go ahead. But uh, my job is to beat the crazy lady. <laughs> because, yes. you know, as I think, and you, you're the only one who can speak to this, right? But as a parent, um, here's your child, this is what you care about the most, and you don't want anything bad to happen. But then as a grandparent, you've seen your child grow up, and despite all the adversity that it's faced, it's turned out just fine, and you know that the challenges that it faces and the adventures it goes on and these sorts of things are integral to becoming a, a good adult. So you say, go ahead, go, you know, go ahead. And but you say it, but, you, but, but the essential cog in that one is, the, the linchpin in that one is that the, the grandmother saw her son limit himself because of the tragedy of losing his friend when, when they went over the reef. And so he's constantly, mother, we don't go out. We don't go up. She knows that about him. <laughs> so Moana's the one that she can help get past that. When she also saw the ocean choose Moana. Well, there's that. <laughs> <laughs> You're right. Yeah. So that is, that, that, that's a pretty big one. But yeah, she is. I love how kooky she is. Yeah. Is there anything that um, is there anything that we haven't talked about that either one of you want to touch on? So I did find um, as I was scrolling, oddly enough, my phone must have just heard me talking about princesses. <laughs> so we did talk a lot about how passive those first three princesses um, come off. But then, like, you dig, you dig deeper into them, and I found this interesting. So Snow White was forced into servitude. She was almost killed twice, <laughs> and she was ripped from her home at the age of 14. Well, that kind of sounds like an adventure. <laughs> <laughs> so then, yeah. and then you have Cinderella, who was also forced into servitude yep, and was manipulated period. and locked away. And Aurora, whose whole life was a lie because she was removed from her family as a baby to try to protect her, um, she had to give up the only life she knew, and she was also nearly killed. So these these weak princesses are they're often criticized for being such because they their inner strength isn't. I think it's interesting because, oh my much. gosh, good, so then, good for you. You just, <laughs> because, yeah, I think what's important here is to note that passivity is different from weakness. And this is something that is uniquely American in culture, right? Like Norma, I talked about it on a different episode. Um, you know, for instance, in, in Japanese culture, um, you know, you hear in American culture all the time, like you shouldn't bottle up your feelings because it's going to lead to bad results, right? Well, in the Japanese culture, it's actually a mark of pride to internally process your negative feelings and to not let them out for everybody to see. And they've studied the health outcomes of both of them. And what they found is that in American culture, 
it's actually better for the people to let their feelings out. From the Japanese culture, it's actually more healthy for them to process their feelings internally. It's not that there's a right or wrong way, but it's these cultural things you've grown up with and the way that your mind has has developed and grown and how you're surrounded by your society that's led to these these different processes. Amanda just gave me a gift, which is humility. Because <laughs> I should know better for to have made that. But it's that. so it's so common. It just speaks to the fact that strength isn't always defined by strength is an endurance. Yeah, and so especially with Cinderella, because you know that that really Lady Tremaine is her stepmother. Her mother dies at a young age. Her father remarries, brings along her two horrible daughters. Um, she's locked away and she's forced to do all of the chores and yet she still is kind and sweet and and longs for something better that's why she wants to go to the ball it's not just because she wants to wear a fancy dress and maybe meet a prince you know she just wants anything more than this horrible life that this hand that she's been dealt yeah it's a lot like it's a lot like it's a lot it's a lot like bell right it depends on how you look at that story right because um you know lots of people would look at that story and say well why isn't she fighting back against her stepmother or standing up to her her stepsisters or doing these sorts of things um that's one way to look at it but you know another way to look at it is is very much like you're saying which is you know, some of us in life are just dealt certain things and, you know, you, you can fight against them or you can put up all this stuff or you can accept what you can't change and have a good outlook on things and hope for better things and work towards getting to. This is why I wanted her to be, to be on, to be on the, just, just to, <laughs> I have been taken apart and that's, <laughs> but that's we, good. <laughs> we talk about this all the time. That's just part of philosophy. Mm-hmm. Right? Like every week I'm putting my foot in my mouth somewhere and then halfway through the episode realizing, oh wait, that wasn't right. Or after the episode, realizing, oh man, that was. <laughs> so philosophy is just the process of talking this stuff out, and then um, you know, growing from it, learning, you know, learning things and growing from it. Like I said at the beginning of the episode, I'm not well versed in Disney princesses, right? But after this whole conversation, now you see them all in a completely different light. Right. So it's just it's been a lot of fun. I feel bad. Meredith didn't really get her due. But I, I've only ever seen that one once. And I've seen bits and pieces of it. And you're, you're right. We didn't give her a due up. She was kind of fun in terms of like, she was another similar to Jasmine where her father is trying to get her, like she needs to get married because she's next in line to the, to their throne. But she wants absolutely nothing to do with just being somebody's wife. And she, finds, to, and she finds out what it is to, to actually find the power. You go out, find the power and do to your parent what you want to do to your parent, which is really dark. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Then she turns her mom into the bear. Right? Yes. Yeah. You know, it, it, it almost sounds like the plot of uh, House of Dragons. <laughs> you know, like, so that's the thing is, I mean, these things are, they're cartoons and then they're, they're meant for children lots of times, but it, there's much deeper stories in here that are for, for boys and girls and men and women and for society at large. But, She's also, I think, the only one that really is shown unkept. Like she's got this wild, unruly hair. She does not fit into that mm. archetype of being a princess. And her father encourages it. Yes. <laughs> Which you know, is cool. She, she shoots, doesn't she shoots a bow and arrow? Yes. I think. Yeah. yeah. So like she's wielding weapons. And I think I think Mulan was really important to um the development of these later mm-hmm. princesses because Mulan came out right when you know, it was like her, one of her key points here was that she showed that you don't have to fight like a man to be powerful. Yeah, because she, I mean, right. she addressed the issue right on by pretending to be a man and showing that you can do it. You know? Right, right. So then you have Tiana, who's her, her own person. She's not, she doesn't set out for the love interest. Rapunzel's technically not saved by a prince. Right. 
um, but just Flynn. And I feel like she does a bit of her own saving throughout throughout her she, film, well, too. There's another endurance story. She has used art to save herself. She has she has made art all the way around that that tower in the, that version of the story, in the hope of seeing, of getting out and seeing the world. But she's she's doing whatever she can to educate herself. Right, but even when she she's almost getting saved, and she throws a frying pan at Flynn, like she's <laughs> she's I don't know what you think you're gonna do, but I'm gonna make sure you don't. Yeah, right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I you know that that one's definitely. That could be a metaphor for life for anybody, right? <laughs> Being trapped in the tower and using using art to save yourself. Yeah, no, this has been a, a fantastic discussion. So, do you want to use? You want to sign us out? You want to say your catchphrase? And uh, until next time, keep pondering. You got it. Yes. <laughs>